This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London, alongside Christine Aquino in London. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. I mean, I was having fun with Alex last week while you were away, Guy. I just got to be honest. So, I don't know. The bar is high. (laughs) I was about to say, what are you saying here? (laughs) I think she's trying to say I'm boring. She's kind of trying to say I'm dull. She's saying I've got to step up my game. We'll try and do that uh, throughout the next hour. Okay, let's start with where we are with these markets. Europe actually had a relatively okay day on equities. I'm looking at an S&P that is that is starting to track significantly lower, 39.71. We're through the 50-day moving average. I'm just trying to look at where the technicals lie. Uh, you've got a 200-day moving average at 39.40. So we're, what, 30 points away from that. Things are getting interesting. The data in the U.S., keeps coming through strong. Today, we saw it in terms of claims. I, this is a labor market that is absolutely surging stateside. Uh, you've got some inflation data in the form of PCE that was strong today. You're going to get more of that tomorrow. Um, this is an economy that maybe the Fed has got to do more. So my, my take on this is that the market is caught up with the Fed, but I wonder whether the Fed is caught up with the data. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to watch, Guy. And again, because this labor market just proves to be more robust than any of us are really expecting, right? And in theory, the Fed should be happy about that because that gives them a lot more room to play around with when it comes to trying to fight inflation. But the question still remains, does something have to break uh, for the Fed to finally be able to get that inflation rate yep. back down to target? Because the, the easy part is, is, is over. The hard part is still ahead of us. Okay, uh, well that's cheerful. Excellence. Uh, let me just let me just say that the FTSE 100 closed at 79.07. Shell up quite strongly today. It added the most points, but it was the Rolls Royce's day. I have to say on the FTSE 100, that stock was up by 24% today. Uh, Wood Group also having a really strong day. Uh, you got IAG up quite strongly as well. The owner of British Airways. It's out with numbers tomorrow, but Rolls Royce up. This is a company that's kicking out cash. I, I relate Rolls Royce and International uh, and IAG because long haul travel is back. Uh, we're bringing a lot of older planes back as well. People are flying more. That's great for the parts business. Rolls Royce absolutely kicking out cash right now. But some of the drug companies, some of the mining companies a little soft today. We're going to talk more about the UK economy in just a moment. Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, has great expectations for what he can do if elected with this economy. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, let's get some headlines with Charlie Hi, Thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Thank you very much indeed. And here's what's going on. Bank of England policymaker Catherine Mann says more interest rate rises are needed to clamp down on inflation as she dismissed talk of a looming pivot to easier monetary policy. She said the current elevated level of consumer price growth which remains around a four-decade high of 10.1%, could seep into wage and price setting and result in an extended persistence of inflation into this year and next. Speaking at the Resolution Foundation in London today, Mann warned that the UK risks, quote, the worst of both worlds, a combination of high prices and low growth. Well, Guy laid it out. Rolls-Royce Holdings surging the most in more than two years today after its new CEO embarked on a strategic review saying the UK engineering firm has underperformed financially for years. 
Well, that helped the stock jump 23.7% today, the most since November of 2020. Rolls-Royce also reported earnings that beat estimates. And the head of Royal Mail told Parliament that his company has used technology to track the speed of postal workers, including for how long they stood still. Appearing before the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee yesterday, CEO Simon Thompson said the exercise was to avoid cases of work overload and not to monitor performance or output. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. My postman runs from house to house. Unbelievably fit. Anyway, Charlie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Charlie Pellet will be back in around 30 minutes' time uh, to update us on the headlines. So let's talk about Keir Starmer's speech today. Made up in Manchester a little bit earlier on. The, Labour, the leader of the Labour Party, can't speak this evening, uh, was, was making five big promises, five long-term missions for Britain uh, he was laying out if the Labour Party wins power at the next general election. The Tories have made Britain's problems deeper, longer-lasting and more painful than any of our competitors. Seriously, ask yourself this. Do I feel better off today than I did 13 years ago? Keir Starmer laying out his, his five missions. One of them is, is to return uh, the UK to much stronger economic growth. He is... He is of the belief that the UK economy can become the fastest growing economy in the G7. Now, that's going to require some quite significant changes. Maybe some of those uh, relate to Brexit, though he was pointing out very clearly today that that should not be how we should think about this. Certainly, we shouldn't laser-like focus our attention on what is happening with Brexit. Clearly, productivity is going to be a massive challenge. If the UK wants to recover lost ground, productivity is going to have to improve significantly. And he's focusing on areas like planning, uh, maybe to make some big improvements uh, in the way that this economy is performing. Let's get a sense of what is happening here and, and kind of the, the, the achievability uh, of what was laid out. Bloomberg UK government reporter Emily Ashton joins us now on the line. Emily, Keir Starmer was, was laying out the kind of the building blocks of how he is going to take the Labour Party into the next general election. From an economic point of view, there wasn't much detail today. When does that detail arrive, do you think? No, the only detail on the economy was on, as you say, he said he wanted to secure the highest sustained growth in the G7. And he did give a timescale for that by the end of Labour's first term. So if he wins the next election, which will probably happen in autumn next year, that would be in about 2029. That's when he wants to achieve that goal. And that's the level of detail we got on the economy. And the rest of the pledges were around other things like the NHS and tackling crime um, and education and things like that. So, yes, very little detail, much more kind of vague, an outline of his mission for government. But I would say that normally it, it is quite normal for detail to be held back until closer to the election. And part of that is because they're a bit worried that the Conservatives might steal their ideas. Yeah, uh, that's going to be quite interesting. And of course, the detail, though, is what investors are going to be looking out for and could potentially make the difference, Emily. But, you know, talk us through the reception of uh, Starmer and his speech in Manchester and also just the position of the Labour Party at the moment. Do you, do you get the sense that they are uh, starting to build momentum and really capitalizing on the fact that the Tories have been consistently lagging in some of the polls that we've seen this year? Definitely. I, I feel like well, they, they know that they are riding high in the polls and it's not a blip. Like They've been 20 points ahead 
at least over the Conservatives for a long time now. Um, obviously, the Conservatives had a terrible year last year. They went through three prime ministers. Um, things are not going very well for them. And you see with public services the way they are and the strikes. Um, things are just not yeah. working in Britain as well as they could be. And I think Keir Starmer is capitalising on that now and saying, look, I'm the man to fix this, but you've okay. got to give me time. I listened to him on Radio 4 this morning on the Today programme. He still is a shaky performer, though. In terms of his delivery, in terms of his... The, the ideas are there, but is the performance going to be there to match it, do you think? And is that a political problem, do you think, for the Labour Party at the moment, Emily? He, he's not Tony Blair, right? He's not a showman. Yep. And I don't think he pretends to be. And I think he's just got to kind of um, stick to who he is and just hope that does win people over. But there's no point in him pretending that he is some kind yep. of... has this X factor that he doesn't have. So is he's just got to keep, keep going. Is this a return to, to New Labour? I don't think they would put it like that, but he's definitely positioning the party in a more central position than definitely under Jeremy Corbyn. He's trying to win over those disaffected Tory voters, if that's very clear. Emily Ashton, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to carry on talking about the UK economy next. Uh, Catherine Mann, uh, one of the big hawks on the, uh, the MPC at the Bank of England, delivering a speech a little bit earlier on. We're going to talk about where she thinks UK rates need to go next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Monetary policy has been historically aggressive, but perhaps insufficiently so relative to the multiple shocks, the behaviors pushing up inflation, and the initially accommodative starting point. Catherine Mann, speaking a little bit earlier on, Bank of England uh, policymaker, member of the MPC, former city economist, not mincing her words. Uh, let's talk about this. Let's carry on the conversation as well about Keir Starmer. Uh, Bloomberg UK economy reporter Philip Aldrich sitting next to us now. Philip, I keep listening to Catherine Mann and I keep hearing her sounding really hawkish. Is she, is she having any impact on the rest of the MPC, though? When she makes these speeches, what is she trying to achieve? Well, it's all about influence, isn't it? Because um, you know, when, when you come into those, every time there's a monetary policy committee meeting, they have a few days uh, beforehand where they all kind of explain their positions to one another. They set out papers, the studies that they've 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 made to try and influence the debate. And clearly, she's been doing a lot of academic work. I mean, the speech today was a really clever speech. There was a lot of lot of sort of insight and new uh, ideas in there, um, and she's definitely trying to influence the debate because she de she clearly fears that p the persistency of inflation is yep. is a problem. Um, I mean, the, the, what was particularly interesting is she looks at she looked at what's happening in financial markets, and he, and financial markets are forward looking, so they start to ease off when they see the peak of interest rates coming. So they anticipate that, and businesses are backward looking, and they're basically saying, "Where is inflation now?" Um, and if it's high for longer, they're going to raise their prices. Um, they're more likely to raise their prices. So if you've got, you know, effectively, the markets undermining. Bank of England policy by basically taking their foot off uh, the accelerator, or putting their foot, taking their foot off the brake. Um, 
and that pushes up inflation um, and then or leaves inflation higher than the bank would like it to be and then of course the businesses are seeing that inflation is, is higher for longer so they're going to raise prices themselves which makes it more persistent so she wants basically to kind of u-turn these yeah. two the, this, the system so that was this kind of speech today was you know we need we need markets to be more aggressive um, on anticipating on on actually pricing for higher rates and thereby you know we'll see inflation come down more quickly and then businesses won't won't there won't be as much persistent inflation in, in the business sector so this is quite a clever combination now phil you mentioned a market reaction and i would note that that market reaction is primarily a function of what we've heard from uh, andrew bailey and most of the um, bank of england policy committee which is that uh, the cycle of raising interest rates may be nearing its end and markets have responded accordingly and so if you were catherine mann you're at the very extreme end of the hawkish side um, of of the committee and as you say the goal here is really to exert some of that influence mm. What would that look like? What could be the best case scenario that you could hope for in terms of being able to show that you achieve that influence? Um, I, swinging another person on the committee to uh, to vote for a rate rise, I guess, or or I, it may be, it may just be deterring uh, deterring people from voting for uh, you know rate cuts or deterring deterring other policy members from. Um, uh, pushing ahead with shorter rates. But to Chris's point, who is the audience here? Is it other NPC members or is it the financial markets? Who who is who is she talking to? Yeah, I, I guess if, she, a good if she's point, trying I, to if she's trying to change the perception of if, she, if she's trying to make the markets, I think price she, more aggressively on the uh, on the expect, expectation well, front. I think there's both, isn't it? I mean, she's basically saying. You know, markets, you're not going to get what you want, which is, you know, peak rates. If you anticipate the peak rates and you don't basically yeah. keep rates, keep market rates high enough to actually enforce what Bank of England's trying to do, which is to basically depress demand. So if you if you basically are bringing down your rates, then yeah. um, then you're undermining your own ambitions. So she's probably trying to speak to them in that respect. But she's uh, but obviously, um, you know, she's clearly saying we need to we need more rate rises. It was very pretty clear in the in her statement so um she obviously wants the committee to to be responding to her to her thoughts too yeah it's just it's communication reality you're trying you're basically she's trying to change the weather (laughs) by by i'm I'm having fun with the weather here um uh and um by, by effectively forcing the market up and therefore that having having the effect without actually having to do what what maybe the mp's policy where you get everyone else to move what you don't move This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. Listening to The Cable, 18 minutes past the hour. So underlying inflation in the euro area hitting a record in January. Uh, This according to the revised data we saw a little bit earlier on. The question now is, does this fully cement the idea that the European Central Bank is going to be able to raise rates by another 50 basis points uh, at its next meeting and potentially uh, another 50 after that? So so the, uh, the, the data are beginning to point us in that direction. We're joined now by Bloomberg's senior euro area economist, Meva Cousin. Meva, let's talk about this. The, the data today, the, the hawks are going to look at this and go, we've got to go at least another 50. How much momentum do you think those hawks now have? Yes, clearly, uh, between the PMI showing a strong economy in February this week, 
Um, today's 5.3% core inflation revised up from 5.2%. I think most of the indicators are flashing red for the hawks at the ECB. So that will give them more momentum to push for more hikes in the coming meetings. Now, Meva, walk us through kind of your broader assessment of the euro area economy at the moment, because it seems like this is just the latest in a slew of recent data that shows, you know, the economy is holding up well. Yes, inflation pressures are still there, but potentially it might be able to withstand more rate hikes from the ECB. Would you agree with that assessment or uh, would you say otherwise? So it's a bit early to tell when we look at how much of the increase in policy rates has been passed through to borrowing costs to the real economy, to households for mortgages and businesses for investments. It is clear that there is still um, some uh, more uh, to go in terms of borrowing costs. So not everything has been passed through yet to, to the real economy. So it's a bit early to tell how the economy is reacting to the increase in the policy rate. And we know there's always a lag in the transmission and the pass-through of uh, policy policy tightening to the real economy. But it is clear that so far, the economy seems to be proving quite resilient. It is true as well that it's benefiting from the decline in energy prices that we've seen from the end of December. So it's giving a a bit more momentum at the moment. I am I, I, I'd be interested to get your take. I am stunned at how well the euro area economy is holding up. If you'd have told me that the ECB would have been raising rates 50 basis points, 50 basis points, I'd have said, you know what, the BTP market's going to be blowing up. Uh, we're going to have a major um, a, a sort of uh, sovereign crisis potentially within Europe. The European economy is going to slow down pretty rapidly. It's got a war on its border. Maybe why is the economy holding up as well as it is? Can we put it all down to the weather? Uh, it's a good question. So far, so good. You're right. I think the weather did help a little bit. Uh, the economy has been really uh, clearly has adapted very rapidly to uh, the decline in Russian gas supply. So it's been doing really well on that front. And that's really good news with a lot of energy savings, more so than we were expecting. So clearly, the economy has proved more resilient uh, to the energy crisis clearly, that we, than that most people and ourselves were anticipating. That's good news. Now, as I said, still some of the borrowing costs, the pain from borrowing cost increases as yet to come. So let's see how the economy can digest that. And definitely there is some reckoning coming in terms of fiscal costs and fiscal position, because much higher borrowing costs is going to make uh, the debt burden much more difficult to support. But so far, uh, debt markets are still, are still um, um, behaving, behaving yeah. well. I've not reacted. Now, Mavis, let's put this in the context of how this is going to play out at the ECB Governing Council. Um, we've heard from Villara yesterday pushing back against those ramped up bets in the markets for rate hikes, which were a product of what we heard from Isabel Schnabel just a week ago, who said that markets may be underestimating the potential for more rate hikes. Clearly, there is a big debate going on at the Governing Council. How is this recent inflation data, as well as the others that we've seen, uh, play into the debate over there? So, yes, that's the debate. And the debate, so I think for March, uh, the govern- governing council has already committed to 50 basis point increase. So, there's little uh, questioning of this 50 basis point for March. Now, the question is what, happened, what happens in May and, and beyond. Uh, our view is that uh, core inflation should be starting to slow from the end of 22. That's our forecast. 
If that happens, we believe the doves will have a little bit more um, ammunition to go into the into the next policy meeting. But clearly, the risks are that uh, the hawks are going to push for more commitments, for more hikes going into the summer. So our current forecast is that there will be 50 basis points in March, another 25 basis points in May, and then the ECB may pause. The risk is that they don't grade in May to 25 basis points, but, but with a new commitment of another 25 basis points in June. Maybe we're going to leave it there. Great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Bloomberg Senior Euro Area Economist, Maybe Cousin, joining us uh, after some very strong more strong inflation data out of the eurozone today. Christine, I am stunned. I am genuinely stunned at how well the US economy is holding up, how the euro area economy is holding up. Uh, you've got claims data out of the States today that would that, that basically show a labor market that is that is getting better, not worse, despite so many hikes from the, from the Fed. And, and the eurozone looks the same. I, I know the weather and gas prices have come down quite sharply, and that's been a big boost. But nevertheless, You'd have told me a year ago that we'd be where we are now, still fighting a war. Rates have risen really sharply, and and this is what economies were going to be doing. I'd have been, I'd, I'd have fallen off my chair. Oh yeah, guy. I mean, it is quite the change from the assessments of uh, the euro area economy and really the U.S. economy as well uh, from from last year. And I, I, it really does say a lot about just how much we all underestimated the power of the consumer and yep. households and business to be able to withstand all these rate hikes, as well as uh, just their ability to, you know, maybe all of those pent up savings, that pent up demand, really is quite the powerful force uh, that we all just. Uh, or we're, or we're just getting complacent. Or we're just I the the, the full force of this. I we talk about policy working with longer variable lags, but we just haven't we just haven't felt it yet. Yeah, that's entirely possible too. Again, what Mava was saying, right? Like we could be seeing the rate rises happening right now, but it takes time for that to make its way through the real economy. Yep. How long and how variable are those lags? We will uh, we will find out. Uh, okay, what are we going to talk about next? Rolls Royce, the engine maker, not the car maker. The engine maker, the jet engine maker, out with numbers a little bit earlier on. It is absolutely throwing off cash right now. We're going to talk about it next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London alongside Christino, also in London this evening. Uh, quick look at where we sit with equity markets. London has closed a little softer today, down by two-tenths of 1%. Uh, we did see some of the drug stocks, drug stocks uh, adding a little weight to the downside, as did some of the miners. But Rolls-Royce had an absolutely cracking day today. We'll come back. We'll talk about that, uh, Christine, in just a moment. What stood out? Rolls-Royce was kind of my standout story today. What was yours? That was my standout story, no, too, which to, we no, featured no, on no. Markets Today. Um, <laughs> Do I need to pick a different one? Yeah, yeah, you could have had Wood Group. Wood Group up really <laughs> quite strongly as well. Um, okay, we both agree that it's a great story, which is why we're going to talk about it next. Siddharth Philip joining us in the studio. We'll get to him in just a moment. Before we do that, though, uh, let's get some headlines from Charlie Powell. Hi, thank you very much indeed, Guy Johnson. Here's what's going on. Group of seven finance ministers once again condemned Russia's war in Ukraine on the eve of its one-year mark and pledged to increase financial support for Ukraine. G7 finance ministers meeting in India increased their budget 
to $39 billion and reaffirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine, calling Russia's aggression as illegal, unjustifiable, and unprovoked. The UK is forecast to have the slowest growth of any advanced economy, with GDP barely higher in 2024 than it was in 2022. The estimate, derived from Bloomberg surveys, underlines the challenge facing Keir Starmer if his Labour Party wins a general election expected next year. In a speech today, the opposition leader pledged to make the UK the best performer in the group of seven. Boeing plans to end production of its FA-18 Super Hornet, the fighter jet that wowed movie audiences in last year's Top Gun Maverick after more than 2,000 deliveries over 40 years. The aerospace giant will stop manufacturing the fighters after it hands over the last Super Hornet to the American Navy in late 2025. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. First the 747, now the Super Hornets. Times are a-changing. Exactly. A sad day for aviation fans. But uh, I think most of us, though, have a tough time getting over the 747 loss. I I certainly do. I'm feeling it very acutely. Charlie, thank you very much. Indeed, actually, that's the perfect setup because we're going to talk more about what's happening in aerospace and airlines right now. Uh, so Rolls-Royce uh, up very strongly today. Uh, at one point, I think it was up over 30 uh, over 30%, uh, but it finished trading at 133. Uh, let me just get the GIP up and I'll be able to tell you that's the chart and tell you exactly <laughs> on a percentage basis what it did today. Up by, let's call it 24% today. Uh, the, uh, the company having its biggest move in two years. Its new CEO, Turfan Ergin Bilcic, I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I very much doubt that I have. Basically embarking on a strategic review of the company. But this is a company that is throwing off cash right now. Long-haul travel is back. Rolls-Royce is highly skewed. Uh, its jet ends are highly skewed to long-haul travel. Uh, you're seeing a whole load of older aircraft coming back as well. This is great for the parts business. Uh, as a result of which, uh, it is throwing off money because the margins in that portion of the business are very strong. Siddharth Philip is the man you want to talk to about what is happening here. He joins uh, Christine and I in the studio. That was quite the bounce. It was. So Rolls-Royce went from being sort of laggard to stock market darling in one day. It was quite a quite remarkable. Why? Walk me through what the market likes so much. So I think the market likes what the company is reporting in terms of both earnings, given the fact that it was it, it beat the estimates by quite a wide margin. It's a reported um, adjusted income about 652 million for last year which is above 489 that the analysts forecasted and they also threw off a lot of free cash flow so they got about 800 million in cash flow so essentially that's sort of what the analysts are looking at and also i think what everyone's really pleased about is the fact that the ceo has come in and said that he's going to embark on a strategic review saying yep. that the company's underperformed financially for years and he's going to change that so I think there's a lot of expectation that he's going to try and lift up margins and sort of make it a much more performing business. Well, yeah, let's talk about those expectations, Sid, because I was actually wondering if maybe uh, the CEO has succeeded in setting them low enough that it was easy to beat them. I mean, by his own words, and as you just mentioned, he was flagging that you know it, the, the company's been in strategic review, they have underperformed, and he it's now it a burning platform. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, do you think it was just a case of expectations being appropriately set that gave Rolls Royce enough room to? beat them or do you think that there's something more fundamentally positive about these sets of results Uh, i think it's actually a sort of combination of two one was low expectations and the other is the fact that 
he's talked about bringing back an investment gra- investment grade credit rating he's looking to sort of resume shareholder payments and dividends he's looking to sort of improve working capital usage uh, he prioritizes where investments needed so it's all sorts of he's saying the right things and i think a combination of saying the right things and setting the bar, the bar pretty low is what sort of causing the shares to pop to what extent though is this course also a beneficiary of the fact that that everybody's bringing back old aircraft and by extension old engines and old engines need new parts and that is a super high margin business it is and i mean obviously bringing back old planes is music to rolls royce's ears because they look at sort of engines when you sell engines that are lost leader and then you sort of recover the investment over the years that the yep. engine serves. So bringing back long haul jets is massively profitable for the company. And, and people are bringing, like, Lufthansa's bringing back 340s. Like people are bringing back like really old aeroplanes here with lots of engines on them. Absolutely. And I think that's because of the fact there's not enough, there's not enough capacity in the market at the moment. And there's so much demand. So everyone's trying to put on as many flights as they can with whatever equipment that they can. Yeah, well, speaking of kind of the broader state of the industry, do you get the sense that things are taking a turn for the better now in terms of just the demand story that uh, we were talking about and as well as uh, these companies' ability to meet and rise up to the challenge of that demand? Yeah, for the moment, demand seems to be very, very strong. And, I mean, if you look at the Airbus backlog, if you look at the Boeing backlog, if you look at what the airlines are saying, yeah. everyone's talking up how the demand has really been sort of rock solid as dem- as the time as time goes by and as sort of covid restrictions end and that's long haul short haul everyone's talking about how demand hasn't really been impacted by the cost of living rising or inflation but at some point people will start to feel the pinch and i think everyone's sort of looking for commentary on when the bubble might pop if it is going what to do you pop. think what do you think ig is going to say tomorrow i the stock had a great run into the numbers uh, really picked up quite nicely today i i having flown on the north atlantic recently which is core route to them i it's packed and and the fares are high everyone's looking for commentary from ig tomorrow on what transatlantic demand looks like what business demand looks like yeah. because business business travel is crucial to ig and ba so everyone's looking for commentary on what the carrier says about business demand and what companies are doing in terms of travel policies and how they're sort of reopening travel. Remember, at the start of the pandemic, everyone said travel, business travel was dead. We're never going to go back on yeah, a plane. Yeah. We're all going to be doing Zoom, but clearly that's are. not really happening. So things are starting to look rosy, but where do you think the vulnerabilities lie? Where does this all go wrong, Sid? The vulnerabilities are really at sort of one in terms of staffing. I mean, everyone's looking to see how summer staffing is really shaping up because last summer we had a summer of chaos where airlines didn't have enough staff, airports didn't have enough staff, ground handlers had enough staff, and that was sort of a recipe for disaster. So everyone's looking to see, one, is summer staffing for 2023 on track? Do people have enough staff going into summer? And two, what happens post-summer and into next autumn where demand is really depends on sort of depends on how demand really pans out because yeah. summer's strong but autumn may be difficult oh man i had a shock last week coming through gatwick positive shock we arrived early no queue for passport control by the time you got through passport control your bag was there i, I honestly I, I i walked out of the airport in utter shock did you buy a lottery ticket that, that, that's what it felt like <laughs> honestly absolutely amazing sid great stuff looking forward to the coverage tomorrow of iag this is bloomberg 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. So Cliff Ansis, Asnes, is, is a legend of the uh, the quant world. He's been around for a long time. He's had a few tough years, but, but it is all coming good right now. Um, the Economist, I think, minted him as the king of quants. Um, as I say, tough few years, now coming back very strongly. Uh, the AQR Capital Management CIO and founder joined Shanali Basak and me a little bit earlier on on Bloomberg Television. It was a fun interview. It was an exclusive interview. We do find in general, and, and some of our investment products are explicitly built around trend following, even though I talk about value uh, all, all the time. Um, whatever's been happening uh, does tend to keep happening in the same direction, at least a little more than it doesn't. And when you see really crazy things, which again, I think is fairly rare, and again, an ex-University of Chicago guy like myself doesn't like the word bubble, but when you see things that you think are bubbles, they take a long time typically to reverse. You don't come in one day and find the world's just back to what you consider normal. Um, A lot of people believed in it. A lot of people think once it started to move, they're getting a bargain. And the bargain is buying something that's 20% cheaper than last month, but 300% more expensive than it should be. Um, So I tend not to make great hero timing calls when I've tried. I've had to write apology letters six months later, Um, (laughs) um, even with calls that ultimately worked out and we stuck with. It's very hard to, 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 you know, the market could do whatever it wants in the short term. Uh, But I do think it is more likely this continues. And from a portfolio perspective, you don't know. Sorry, go on. So with the benefit, okay, so it looks like we've had a pivot. You're spending a lot of time talking about sort of time here, but you don't want to talk about timing because, as you say, that's a difficult thing to do. But with with one year of hindsight, do you think we have had a pivot and and, and the market has changed? This is a fundamental shift in in the way that we should perceive the market. This is a timing shift as well as as a valuation shift. All right, I'll I'll take more risk with my next comment. Uh, First of all, yes, over the last year, we suddenly certainly saw a huge shift. Um, We saw the market repriced to cheaper and the differential between very expensive and very cheap stocks come in fairly dramatically to still a extremely high differential. So that's the part you got to keep in your head. It's come in a lot. Um, And yes, I do believe this will continue. I just feel much stronger about diversifying and making sure you have exposure to this. There's always a chance that the trend reverses for three months before it continues again and people panic. Um, Almost every correction we've seen of big dislocations have had some massive kind of uh, rallies back towards crazy within them. So there, I've learned to be scared of that. But yeah, I will go out on a limb and say I do think you want this now. So let's talk about the risks that we may not see on the surface. You went to the Chicago school. I went to the Tom Keene school, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's asking about the Epsilon. What is the systemic risk? Uh, The fat tails that can kind of complicate your investing thesis and, frankly, the investing thesis for a lot of the market. What keeps Um, you up at night? Okay, I'm not a macroeconomist, and and sometimes I do try to play one on TV, and I always get myself in trouble. Uh, But I think the fat-tailed event probably is macroeconomic. Um, the world is currently thinking inflation comes down a lot. You know, we see 5% cash yields, but inflation's still running around 6% now. You're still getting a, a negative real yield on, on, on cash. Um, equities are still priced very high versus history. So they're kind of priced assuming inflation comes back down, and that doesn't really affect their top line. 
because if inflation comes back down, there's some pricing power to that. It gets political. A lot of people complain about the pricing power of corporations in inflationary times. So I, again, I won't be courageous enough to make a prediction, but I will say there is a risk. It uh, may not be disastrous for, for the world, for the average person, but there is a risk that the macro economy delivers results that markets are still woefully unprepared for. Woefully unprepared for. Uh, great fun having a conversation with Cliff a little bit earlier on. Cliff Asnes, Cliff Asnes uh, joining us um, from AQR. He's been around the block. He's had a few tough years. Things are definitely coming good right now. He thinks uh, that he could be in the groove for a few good more years still to come. Jamie Diamond, uh, Jamie Diamond was uh, talking a little bit earlier on. He says the US economy is facing some scary stuff. We're going to talk about that economy next. Mike McKee's going to be dropping by. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. It is 5.48 in the city of London. Jamie Dimon talking a little bit earlier on today saying that he sees some uh, scary stuff for the US economy. The US economy is facing, quote, scary stuff ahead. Um, today's data, though, not that scary. Today we saw claims data, that, that weekly series uh, that told us that the labour market is still strong. We've got quarterly PCE, which tells us tomorrow's data uh, on core PCE uh, may be a little bit elevated. This is an economy that is still humming along, maybe signalling that the Fed has got to do more. Let's talk about today's numbers and what we're going to get tomorrow. Mike McKee dropping by to talk to us about that. I am tempted, having listened to McC Mike McKee uh, trying to do a British accent in the break, to try and make him do this entire interview <laughs> with a British accent. But I fear people may turn off. Uh, we, we could do something one time when I do the British accent, you do the American accent. We'll just see. I, I'm judging by the British accent I heard during the break. I'm pretty confident I'm going to win. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, put a lot of stock in my ability to pass as a Brit. Um, but okay. what, what you said about scary uh, from Jamie Dimon was kind of interesting because I, I was talking with Jonathan Farrow this morning. We were on TV together when the jobless claims numbers come out. And every week it's been like one of those slasher movies where, you know, people, the, the young girl is opens the closet door and you expect somebody to jump out. And it doesn't happen. You know, we get the theme music, we get the scary yeah. music, and then you open the closet door and jobless claims don't go up. They go down. And so you wonder when uh, are we going to finally <laughs> see the plot twist. It right now looks like the labor market is still strong. That is not great news for the Fed. They're hoping to see some loosening because they still worry about wage pressures. Yeah, and that, I guess, is the key question, isn't it, Mike? I mean, they've done quite a bit of work on the rates and to get that inflation figure down to what uh, where it is now, but it's still well above target. Um, and I think, uh, you know, what, what do you think about this question of does the labor market need to break in some way? And does the Fed need to facilitate that to finally get to that target point? Well, yes, it needs to break in some way. The question is, which way? Um, nobody believes that the Fed can get away without unemployment rising somewhat. The question is, how much does it have to rise? Is this a different enough kind of recovery that it doesn't have to go up to bring inflation down? 
but we could also see a low unemployment rate for a while, but maybe then the jolts numbers, the job openings in the United States start to come down. Or we see layoffs start to show up in, in the jobless claims numbers. But so far, nothing has shown up that suggests any problem with the labor market. And we're still seeing shortages in some categories, particularly in service industries. That's why Powell has talked about looking at the inflation numbers, the core inflation numbers, ex-housing, because we know housing is delayed uh, in getting into and out of the numbers, but to see what the rest of it is doing because of these uh, job shortages that could be pushing up wages. Does the Fed have to do more? Well, they've, they've promised to do more, so we know that they're looking at at least another 50 basis points, and without any kind yeah. of indication of recession, that would seem almost guaranteed. The question is going to be whether they think they need to go over that and go up to 5.5% or even higher. We'll find out when they do their new dot plot on March 22nd. Well, let's talk about that dot plot. I'm wondering what levers the Fed can pull at the moment to maybe not be in a position where they have to go back to raising 50 basis points at a time, which I suspect they probably don't want to do, but still signal a more hawkish tone that the market can get on board with. Well, if they want to do that, they you know, can raise 50 the next time and then keep the language in the statement that they have about uh, ongoing rate increases, because that will be ambiguous enough to let them off the hook if all of a sudden they need to change their mind. But it would suggest that there's more than one additional rate increase coming. I'm not as concerned as some people or not as uh, certain as some people that they don't want to do 50. I mean, yeah, they don't want to do 50. But uh, I, I don't think it's a credibility problem so much because I think this is a situation where the Data will tell the Fed what it needs to do, but the data will tell the markets what it needs to do uh, at the same time. If we get a really bad inflation number tomorrow or when the next CPI comes out, then people might say, well, of course the Fed should do 50. And then the Fed has a free pass to do that. So I think we, we have to wait and see what the data tell us between now and their next meeting before we can really start to zero in on what their plan would be. Ideally, it'll be 25 but uh, for them, but uh, we'll have to see. Now, Mike, the latest MLive Pulse survey, which is coming up next week, is going to be all about the hard landing, soft landing, or no landing scenario. We're going to be asking investors about that. Give us your take. Which one do you think is the most likely at this point in time? Well, I wouldn't put a lot of odds on any of them at this point because it's so uncertain. But I suppose the one that seems uh, most logical is a soft landing where we do see unemployment rise some and inflation come down, but we don't see a necessarily a recession or bad recession. Yeah. And if if we get a uh, even a contraction in economic activity that doesn't push unemployment significantly over four percent, then people won't even really notice it's a recession. So it it would be a soft landing. The uh, the no landing. I don't think it works together. Uh, the fact that you would have um, still strong economic growth and inflation coming down, that's hard to see how those two things would, would go together. Uh, and of course, hard landing, if the Fed has to go too far, um, that becomes yeah. a possibility, but they don't want to do that. I, I guess it depends on objectives. Alarian thinks, Mohamed Alarian thinks that they should abandon 2%. John Williams was saying at the New York Fed that they are still sticking with 2%. I guess he has to say that still. 
Yeah, they're not going to change the uh, target because then the target loses credibility. And when we next have inflation and it's 4 or 5% uh, and the Fed's target is 3%, people will say, well, they changed it last time. They, yeah. they might just change it up to 4% this time. So they're going to have to wait. They do have, in 2025, a review of their policy uh, prescriptions, and that would be a good time where they could lay the groundwork for, uh, you know, we have this behind us, and so we're looking at what the best way to proceed in the future is, and we could raise the, the, the target. Yeah. Mike, looking forward to the coverage tomorrow. Big day tomorrow for Mike McKee. It's a big day every day for Mike McKee. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, from Christine Aquino and me, hope you enjoyed the show. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg.